How you guys doing? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I drove uh, nine hours one way and spent three days with our kids and drove nine hours back. So uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, last Sunday, I was, I was uh, able to visit an incredible church there that I'm really glad that they're a part of called Fellowship Church. It's an evangelical free church there in Knoxville, Tennessee. Up way. It's like, it takes about 30 minutes from their house to drive there, but uh, I really enjoyed the worship and the, and the church there. It's a mega church there in Knoxville that uh, our kids are attending now. So uh, uh, it's great to, it was great to spend time with them, but it's good to be back here and starting the Christmas. We're going to be spending three weeks talking about Christmas, and we're going to be doing something interesting because it's always a challenge every year. Christmas seems to come every year uh, for some reason, and uh, because of that, uh, you know, we're always talking about the Christmas story and how to make it fresh and new is always a challenge. But uh, we're going to spend the three weeks kind of leading into this, and the first two weeks, actually, I'm going to look back at the Old Testament and talk about some things that lead into this whole thing of, of how to get the party started uh, in a real sense, because Christmas really should be about celebrating what God has done in our, in our world and our lives. That's what it should be. But for some people, Christmas is a time of depression. And so we're going to talk about you know, how that happens. And so we're looking in the Old Testament this week and the next week. And then we're going to look at the New Testament and look, talk about the actual Christmas story uh, on the 22nd as we gather together there. So just want to let you know what's going on. And there is a purpose for the pile of cinder blocks here, okay, this morning. We'll let you know that in a minute as well. And you'll understand as soon as I start the message in just a few moments. Um, let me ask you first this. Have you ever invested your time or your effort and your energy into something that you wish you hadn't? I remember many years ago, it was about this time of year, uh, my wife and I, Got sucked into this thing called uh, going to this place. You know, it's one of those places that say, hey, you come for three days and you come for free, but all you got to do is one hour presentation. You are, anybody ever done that? You know, okay. Uh, we went there, did that, and uh, four hours into the presentation, uh, I was going like, what in the world is going on here? I mean, I hate this thing. And, you know, I was just so worn out. And, and then they give you this high-pressure sales thing, and they go through this whole deal, and, and I just spent all this time. And I'm going, it's not worth the three days that I spent, you know, the three, two nights, three days here, you know, in a ski resort in the mountains of West Virginia, about two hours from where we live, to go there for this presentation. It wasn't worth it. I just wasted my time. I wasted my energy. I was just so fed up with that. And so, you know, sometimes we have these type of things where we invest time, we invest energy, we invest all kind of stuff, and we don't get an adequate return for the investment. Some of us, it may be something financial. Uh, some of us, I don't want you to raise your hands this morning, but you think in your mind you've, you've invested in something financially, and you spend a lot of time doing that, and it just didn't return the investment you wish. Some of it's a relationship. You dated somebody for a long period of time that you wish you had never invested in that relationship. And don't look at them. Okay, and... Uh, <laughs> No, 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 that was really bad. Uh, but anyway, you know, the thing is, is that we have all these type of things. And you know that when you invest in something and you put all your energy into it and, and you focus your attention upon it, you know what that's called? It's called worship. You thought worship was what we did a while ago, right? No, that was called singing. It could be worship. But worship is when we invest our time. It's whatever we invest our time, our energy, and our efforts into. Worship is anything we, we do that. It's anything that becomes the focus of our primary allegiance. It can be for a period of time in our life. It can be for a long period of time. You know, in America, many of us, many people consider America a blessed nation, right? Because of all the stuff we have. We have lots of resources in America. However, there's a problem in America with all the resources that we have that we're never satisfied. You know, you know that America leads the world in anti-depression drugs? 
by far. There's not even anybody close to us. And we have all this stuff, and we're going like, well, what's the big deal? Why is that true? The reason is because we worship things that do not uh, provide an adequate return for the investment that we have. Uh, and the problem is, is that, is that we, we don't lack happiness. Happiness is about circumstances. We lack joy. And lack of joy in our life causes us to, uh, to be depressed over a long period of time and to feel like there's nothing worthwhile. And I want to say this to you this morning. This is kind of the focus of what we're talking about today is this. The object of your worship will determine the level of your joy. The object of your worship will determine the level of your joy. And I'll tell you, there's, and I'll give you the, the, the ending this morning too. The only thing that could be the object of our worship that will bear the weight of our worship and come out ahead is God. That's it. That's the only answer. So today what we're going to look at is we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament about a guy who kind of had this, uh, this deal, and, 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 and it's kind of a great story. You know, and there's stories in the Bible. Have you ever read a story in the Bible, wish you'd have been there? You wish, man, if all the stories in the Bible, I wish I could have been there and seen that. You know, been there. This is one of those ones for me. And it's over in 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. And let me just kind of preface it, preface it this morning a little bit to tell you about it. It's a great story. It's, it's a story of, of one of the bad kings of Israel. And Israel had a whole bunch of bad kings. They had a multitude of bad kings. And this guy was kind of like one of the top bad kings. His name was Ahab. And he had a wife who's very famous. Her, her wife's name was Jezebel. Anybody name your kid Jezebel? Your dog? Maybe your cat. I think it'd be all right to name a cat Jezebel, but I don't know. But the deal is, uh, the deal is, is that, you know, you know, it's not a name you normally name kids, right? You know, Jezebel, because it has all these connotations, even if you're not a Christian, even if you don't know the Bible, Jezebel's, oh, I'm not sure about that Jezebel name, you know? And so he had a wife named Jezebel, Ahab, and, 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 and they were far from being followers of God. Now, realize this was Israel, God's people. And here, the people of Israel had this history. They'd asked for a king, and then they had a series of bad kings. They had a couple of good kings, but not too many. And they had all these bad kings, one after another. And it comes to Ahab, and they'd gone so far away from God that what happened was is that God has had enough. And what God does is he says this. He says to, says to Elijah, who happened to be the prophet in that time, he says to Elijah, let them know that for the next three years there will be no rain. Now that's, you know, for us here in the Midwest, that would be bad, right? Because we are partially an agricultural society. But it was, it was, it was tremendously bad in that culture because everything was about agriculture. Everything. It determined everything in the culture in that day, in the economy. And so for three years there was no rain, and, and the entire economy crashed after this, this period of time. And then Ahab decides to send out a whole bunch of people to try to find Elijah because he wants to blame Elijah because he's God's spokesman. And, and so he sends out all these people. There was one good, good guy in the story too besides Elijah, and his name was Obadiah. And Obadiah was the, the kind of the administrator of the kingdom, but secretly he was also a follower of God. And there's an encounter in the first part of chapter 18 where Obadiah encounters Elijah and Elijah. He says, go tell, uh, Elijah tells Obadiah, go and tell Ahab that I'm coming. And Obadiah says, no, don't tell him that because they'll kill, he'll kill me because he hates you and, and all this stuff. But he tells him to do that. And then we be, begin to read the story today. And I, I want to read to it uh, in verse 16. And we're going to follow that. So you have your Bibles there. We're going to look at it. It says this in 1 Kings 18, verses 16 and following. It says, so I, Obadiah went to meet Ahab. He did what Elijah told him to do. And he told him, 
and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. It says in verse 17, when he saw Elijah, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed, uh, have followed the Baals. The Baals were another god at that time. Now some of the people, and this is what Elijah said, now some of the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at the Jezebel's table. I mean, tell you, this is one bad dude, is all I can say. You, you see what he's doing here? One guy, Elijah, the follower of God, he's saying, hey guys, I want to have a throwdown. I'm calling out, and, and, and it's me and my God against 850 people, basically. So, I mean, how many of you have ever done that? You think you're tough. You know, I mean, this guy, was, this guy had an attitude, but, but he, does, he does it because he, he knows God. So he tells him to do that. So Elijah tells him. Then in verse 20, So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So what does the people do? But the people said, nothing. See, these people were wishy-washy. He says, now, he kind of says this to him. He says, hey, hey folks, you've worshipped this Baal dude, for uh, this Baal God for the last three years. How's that going for you? How's that going for you? I mean, you've had nothing but, but, but uh, a drought. And, uh, everything is messed up. See, the thing is, when we read this, we're thinking he's talking to people in general. But no, he's talking to the people of Israel. He's talking to the people who know God. He's talking to church people in that culture. He's talking to the people who knew God. And he's telling them this. He says, he says you need to make a decision. You can't waver on the fence. You can't just show up every once in a while. He says, you've got to make a decision about who you're going to follow. You know, indecision plagues us so often in the Christian world. I mean, you know, you know what's going to happen today? I know what's going to happen in the lobby today after church. Some of you are going to have this conversation. We're going to go, you want to go to dinner? You want to go to lunch? You go, I don't know. You want to go to lunch? No, I don't know. You want to go to lunch? You want to go to lunch? I don't know. And you finally decide, yeah, we're going to lunch. And you go, where are we going to lunch? I don't know. Where do you want to go to lunch? I don't know. Where do you want to go to lunch? And you go back and forth and back and forth. I heard these conversations out there all the time. You know, and you're out there, and finally, I don't know what happens to the restaurant, but I can guarantee what happens. You get there, and you look at the menu, and you've been to the same restaurant 50 times, but you don't know what you're going to eat, and so you go, to, what are you going to eat? I don't know. What are you going to eat? See, we can't make decisions on anything. And that's even little things in life, like where are you going to eat? You know, I mean, so what do we do about the big things in life? So that's what, what Elijah's doing. He's t- telling the people, he says, you've got to make up your mind. He said, you're either going to follow Baal, or you're going to follow God. You only have, those are the only two choices you have. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. And this is what he was to do. So he makes up this plan. He has this plan that God gave to him. Get two bulls for each of us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. They get the first choice. And let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. They want to make an altar and they're going to place their, their, they're big cow on there, bull on there, and they're going to cut it up, and they're going to get it ready for, for a, a burnt offering. And he says, I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. And then this is what he says. So still, he finally gets the people to say something. He says, then you call on the name of your God, little g, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. 
So whoever he says, whichever one that, that lights the fire without us lighting the fire, whichever God does it, that's going to prove to you guys that he's the real God. And they're going like, yeah, what you say is good. This is a great plan. You know, and, and the thing we don't always know in the culture, our culture, we don't know anything about Baal. But you know that Baal was often depicted as, it, it, with, a, uh, with a lightning bolt in his hand? He was kind of the god of fire. And so they're going like, well, man, this is going to be easy. An easy throw down here. Because the, the, the Baal god is going to have, and he's going to you know, throw it down, and he's going to have his, his deal going there. That's what they're saying. So we come to the first question today that leads us in this message. And it's, it's we're going to have, if, if you want to have a, a joyful Christmas, if you want to have a, a kind of, 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 a, of a life that where it's filled with joy, the first question you have to have is this. The first response is, what are you going to worship? Creation or creator? Creation or creator? That's the choices we have. Because as we read the story and you'll understand this, they, they made choices. One was worshiping the creation. One was worshiping the creator. And I wish the band had all worn ugly sweaters today because I was going to rag on them. But uh, they didn't. They kind of let me down. Um, they're supposed to be ugly sweater day. I must not have found any. I actually looked at uh, all the uh, uh, stores, you know, that, that were cheap uh, to find one. And I couldn't find one for less than $70. And I'm going, I'm not paying $70 for an ugly sweater. I'm too cheap. And so I didn't do that. But anyway, if you ever, have your, I was going to talk about how ugly their sweaters were. So I can't talk about it today. So it just totally blew away my illustration. But the deal is this. Have you ever seen anybody that looks ridiculous doing something? You ever been to a wedding, and after the wedding at the reception, they have dancing? Have you ever been there when I tried to dance? That's ridiculous. I just want to let you know, I can't dance. My wife is a dancing crazy person. But I can't dance. If you want to make, have a good laugh, watch me go to a wedding reception and try to dance. It looks ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I can't possibly do that. You know, and so, you know, I just think in your mind now, the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen anybody do. You know, or the guy, if you're going down, if you're going down the universe, I know it's, it's on Sheridan, I think, and they have the, the, the pizza guy out there with his sign and he's twirling it around and dancing and I'm going like, man, that guy must really be desperate for money. Because he looks crazy. Or the guy that wears the, 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 uh, the suit, uh, the, the, uh, tax thing you know you know what i'm talking about the liberty statue of liberty suit i'm going like wow that's pretty ridiculous who would do that but you, you ever see anybody do something ridiculous well something ridiculous happens in the next part of the verse here it, it says in first kings eighteen twenty five, it says elijah said to the prophets of baal okay he says choose one of the bulls and prepare it first since there are so many of you there's, there's a whole bunch of you so you guys can obviously you know 450 you can can slaughter one one bull he said call and then i want you to do this call the name of your god but do not light the fire make sure you don't light the fire don't cheat now it's kind of what he's saying it says so they took the bull given to them and they prepared it then they called on the name of baal from morning Till noon. Now, we don't know how when morning is morning, but let's say three hours. It was 9 a.m. Let's just give them the, a short morning. 9 a.m. till noon. And, and, they, and, they, and uh, they called this out. They, they called, they said, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. Can you imagine how ridiculous they looked? These guys are over here. These grown men in their full 
Baal worship regalia, whatever that is. And, and, and here's this bull, and they're dancing around it, shouting out to this non-god, Hey, light the fire! Light the fire! Listen to us! At this point, we're thinking, how dumb can anybody be? Investing time and effort and emotion into something, worshiping something that's not real. But let's go on. It says this. And then I love the next part of the verses. This is my favorite part of the whole story. Verse 27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Remember, 450 worshipers, Baal leaders, one Elijah. Okay? He begins to taunt them. And he says, Elijah says to these guys, shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy. Are traveling now. I have to stop for a moment and tell you this because and Chris knows what I'm going to say because he's studied this before too. It's interesting that really doesn't give you the really the, the Hebrew that what it really says there. Because if you have an ESV version, it says something totally different. Because when it says he says perhaps he's in deep thought or busy, the word busy actually in in the Hebrew the best translation means he's relieving himself. Can you imagine? Here is Elijah going like. Hey guys, your God is in the bathroom. He's probably got his iPad in there. He's probably playing Angry Birds. I mean, really, that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing here. I said, maybe he is sleeping. He must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. I mean, folks, this was all out worship. This was a frenetic, uh, uh, just giving it all. I mean, this is, this is worship. I mean, this, these were guys giving it all about here. And when we read this, in our culture, in our day, we're going like, we're, we're saying things to ourselves like, well, I am so glad we are so much more advanced than that. That we don't, I mean, any of you here Baal worshipers this morning? I don't think so. None of us here are Baal worshipers. But I'm not really sure we're all that advanced because while we may not worship Baal, we worship a lot of other things. Some of us worship our careers. We worship the things that we do in our careers. We think about everything. I and mean, we put spend some, all of our time, our energy, all of our emotion into a career. And it's not really so much about the career, is it? It's about what the career brings. It's about this stuff. Right? It's about this. It's about getting some stuff in our life that we can have more and more stuff in our life. And, it, and we play, instead of worshiping Baal, what we worship is our careers. We worship money. Another thing we can worship, some people worship relationships, you know? Some people want, they think everything would be solved in their life if, they, you know, a lot of women think, if they just get one of these. Or guys think, if I just meet the right woman, man, my life would be perfect. Let me give you a clue if you don't know this already. No person if you place them on that type of pedestal, will meet the expectations or the weight of your worship. They will always, always disappoint you. And so we do that kind of thing. We, we worship those kind of things. We worship our careers. We worship money. You know, some of us worship the weekend. 
don't we? That's just a representative of the weekend. But I know it represents for many people the weekend. And if I can just make it to the weekend, you know, I go by the stores, you know, Friday afternoons. Man, I mean, the other day, I never saw a guy have so much beer in his cart. I was over, uh, some, I forgot, I was over here at Ricky's, you know, and he comes out and he has like, you know, and I'm going like, man, he must be having a party. I was going, you having a party? I asked him. He said, no, it's just for me. <laughs> and I'm going, really? He said, yeah, I'm gonna, I've had a bad week. See, some of us worship, worship that idea of like, I just got to get to this place in my life. Just, it's, it's whatever, it's whatever we place our energy, our effort, and our attention in is what we worship. And while we may not worship Baal, we worship a lot of other things that, that could be very similar to that in, in our culture as well. And the problem is, is none of these things will give us sustained joy, will they? None of them will. So let's go on with the story. I love the rest of the story. Then this, this, is the, this is, tells us a little something about what we need to do, if that's true. Then Elijah said, verse 30, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it large enough to hold two saves of grain. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, then he said to them, Lay, um, <clears throat> excuse me, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and do it, then they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. So what he's doing is he's taking this altar that's going to be burned up and he's taking them to get them to drench it. I mean, literally drench it in water. So it's so wet that it just waters everywhere. It's just drenched. There's no way it's going to, a fire is going to lighten that. And, and then verse 35, the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. 30, verse 36, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stopped, stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things according to your word, according to your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning your hearts back, their tar- hearts back to you again. Then verse 38, then the Lord, then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also looked up at the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and they cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Now, on that day, there were two altars. There were two sacrifices. One was to Baal, a false god. One was to the true God. On that day, only one fire was lit. And it was the one that was a result of worship being placed in the right location. See, if you want more joy in your life, and I believe you do, because joy is not about your circumstance. It's not about what happened three weeks ago, or a year ago, or five years ago, or what's going to happen tomorrow. It's about having God in your life and knowing you can depend upon him and having something that will sustain you through all the stuff of life. If you want joy in your life, it has everything to do with where you worship with where you worship so what are your choices what are your choices in regard to this well there's only two choices apathy or adjustments you can be apathetic toward it or you can make adjustments it's kind of like a few years ago um, when i moved here to illinois 11 years ago uh, i'm 6'3 and i weighed 210 pounds then okay um not for long though 
And I uh, came here and, you know, I changed my eating habits and I changed my exercise habits. I still exercised a lot, but my eating habits changed drastically. Um, and so within about five years, I discovered I had uh, gradually put on about 20 extra pounds. And uh, one day I just got on the scale. You ever got on the scale and it moaned? You know, I, it probably was moaning at me, my, my scale was. You know, and I was going like, and, and I went in a room. I was mad because the scale, you know, I was mad at the scale. And I went in the other room, and my wife was standing there, and she's going like, what's the problem? I know you're, you, you look upset. And I said, yeah, I am upset. That scale has to be wrong. And she goes, well, you know. And, and if you don't know my wife, my wife is a nutrition and health, let me say this in a nice way, nut. She is the most healthy eating, most consistently working out person I have ever met on the face of this earth. But she loves me too, and so she doesn't always rag me about everything. And so, so she realized what was going on. She says, Bill, you know, you're still working out, but you're not eating very well. And I didn't like that. So I, you know, I could have been apathetic and said, well, it's all the scale's fault. Or I could make adjustments. I could make adjustments. Let me share, share with you something. If you've been convicted in any way by the first part of the message as you're thinking about, well, maybe my life, my worship is focused on some of these things here, maybe on making this or my career or some relationship or the weekend or whatever it may be, I could have put dozens of things up here. In any way, I want to tell you that, that, that your worship, and you've been convicted that you're worshiping at the wrong altar. God is not trying to condemn you. He's trying to correct you. In his word. There's a huge difference. Because if you worship at this altar, if you're placing your time, your energy in something that cannot provide an adequate return on investment, God simply wants you to turn away from this and turn toward this. That's what he wants to do, wants you to do. And that's what the story is all about. And in order to do that, you have to make some adjustments to your life. You have to change some things to your life. It can't remain the same. Let me quickly list just, just five things real quick before we close this morning. Five things that we need to make adjustments in. First of all, the first is this acknowledgement of what was ruined. Acknowledgement of what was ruined. You know that, that when, when, when uh, Elijah was going to get ready to do this altar, what did he have to do first? He can acknowledge that the altar itself was ruined. He had to rebuild the altar. How does something become ruined? Usually through neglect. Neglect. Y'all seen those Lexus commercials on TV? The one where they put the giant giant bow on the car and they leave it out front? Have you ever thought about doing that for anybody? I mean, why would anybody want a giant bow on their car? What do you do with a bow after, after you get it off the car? There's no trash can big enough to hold that bow, you know? What a waste of time. I'm Mr. Practical, you know. So if you will give me a Lexus, please do not put the bow on it, okay, is all I can say. But no, it's cool. And I think Lexuses are really cool cars, you know. But, you know, as cool as those cars are, if you took a Lexus and bought one brand new this year and you took it out in the middle of a field and sit it in the middle of the field and didn't touch it for 10 years, what would happen to that Lexus? It would deteriorate because of neglect, Right? A brand new car, not even touched. It would deteriorate because of neglect. That's what happens to anything that you leave and do not take care of. Do not nurture. Now the question then this morning is this. Let me just ask, this is the hard question. 
Has there, think about this. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have been closer to God than you are right now? Has there ever been a time in your life when you've been closer to God than you are right now? If the, if the answer is yes, then, the, then my next question is who moved? You or God? See, nobody accidentally follows Christ. It's an intentional decision to do that every day. And so the thing is, the first thing we have to ask ourselves, if we want to uh, not just be apathetic but make adjustments in our life, we have to ask ourselves the hard questions. Is there things between me and God that I've neglected in my life? We have to acknowledge what has become ruined, what has become neglected in our life. Number two, a second thing we have to adjust to is, I would call it submission to the Word of God. Submission to the Word of God. When Elijah repaired the altar, he did it how? According to the Word of God. He did it according to what Scripture had already been taught to him. He knew that it wasn't just some haphazard plan. See, if we want to worship God as he wants to be worshipped, we have to do it in submission to the Word of God. I know there's people that worship at this altar over here, the Baal altar, or whatever you want to call it, whatever your thing is. You know, when, when, they, when they look at things and they talk about things, this is what they say. They say, well, this is what I think about marriage, or this is what I think about sex, or this is what I think about this, or this is what I think about that. And I have discovered something over 30-plus years of being a pastor and being a minister, but just being alive and being a Christian as well. I've discovered something, that those people who think something, who think anything out just that's, that's opposed to the Word of God are wrong every time. I've never in 30 years had somebody come to me and said, you know, Pastor, um, I've really messed up my life by following God's plan for my life. I've not had anybody ever tell me that. Not one time. So one of the adjustments we have to make if we've gotten off track is submission to the Word of God. A third adjustment is, uh, I would call it this, is a sacrifice was prepared. You know, it took time and effort uh, to prepare the sacrifice for, for Elijah. It wasn't something that was simply like, snap your fingers and things are done. If you're going to make the adjustments in your life, there's probably going to have to be some sacrifices made, some things changed in the way you do certain, certain things. Because if you've gotten off track, there's a reason you've gotten off track. And I simply say that because the reality of life is, is that, yeah, there is a cost to following Christ. But the cost is worth it. And so we have to do, pay the price of whatever it is that needs to be done. And maybe the price is the next thing I want to talk about, and that's the, the fourth thing that we have to make adjustments is, and that's what a word called repentance. Repentance. Repentance is not a popular word. Real matter of fact, it's not a very it's a word that most people don't want to even talk about because we like to talk about confession, not repentance. And there's a huge difference. Now we know the verse that says that if we confess our sins, he is righteous, faithful to forgive us of our sins, you know? Yeah, God is, but confession is not just telling God you're sorry. See, repentance is acknowledgement that I am worshiping at the wrong place and turning and worshiping at the right place. That's what repentance is. See, it's not the same thing as confession, just saying you're sorry. So we have a lot of church people who say, say to God, they'll come to church and they'll say, Dear God, 
Dear God, you know, I'm having sex with my girlfriend. I'm having sex with my girlfriend. I'm having sex with my girlfriend. Then what do they do? They leave church and what do they do? They have sex with their girlfriend. Because they said they're sorry. Because they think that's enough. But that's not what it's... Or, or dear God, you know, I hate this person. I hate this person. I hate this person. I'm so sorry. They leave and they still hate the person. Or dear God, you know, I'm doing this and you fill in the blank and, and it, we, I know it's wrong. I'm sorry. And you go out and just keep doing it. See, confession is not telling God what you did wrong. He already knows it. It is not information. It is transformation. It is not telling God what we did is wrong. It is agreeing with God that what we are doing is wrong and that what we want to do is we want to admit that we need to turn and go toward Him. That is repentance. And that's what God calls us to do. So we have to, you know, that's, 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 that's something, an adjustment we have to make. And finally, the issue is this. The heart was the issue, really. The heart's the issue of everything. See, and and, and take this in the right way. Jesus, God, is not interested in your behavior. He's really not. He's interested in your heart. Because you can do all the right things for the wrong reasons, right? So it's not just getting you to act a certain way. It's getting your heart to be aligned with him and being a, a, a person after God's own heart. And those are the adjustments we have to make. There's three of multitudes that we have to make if we want to quit worshiping at this altar and start worshiping at this altar. Now, in the story, I see three results of these, of these things happening. I mean, three big results in this battle between the prophets of Baal and God and, and, and Elijah. The first, is, the first result is this, a breakthrough. A breakthrough. There was a breakthrough. Do you think it was a breakthrough in this story? I'd call it a breakthrough because in verse 38 it says, And the fire of the Lord uh, fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also looked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, what did they do? It says they fell prostrate and they did what? They said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now, these are the same people a few verses earlier. Remember when, when Elijah pointed out all the issues? What did they do? Remember these are the same people that said nothing. Just a little bit earlier in the story. Who couldn't even make a decision about anything. He said, you've got to choose between God or Baal. And what did they do? There was a breakthrough and they chose God. See, when you make these adjustments in your life and when you begin to not just be apathetic about the things in your life and worship at the right altar, what it'll do, it'll change your attitude, it'll change your heart, and so that you'll be focused upon what God's deal is instead of yours. It was a breakthrough. Second, a second result was deliverance. Deliverance. Now we don't like to read this verse because this next verse because we we think everything's nice and clean in, in Scripture, but there's a purpose for this verse. Verse forty says, "Then Elijah, after all this had happened, then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Who were they? The false worshippers. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized him. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Man, the Old Testament is bloody." Why in the world? Isn't this just this loving God who... You know why he does this? Because he wants us to understand something. Sin is serious. Sin is serious. The consequences of our sin, 
is serious. Now, we may not get slaughtered, okay? But the issue is he's trying to say there was deliverance from that, and God, God delivered, delivered the people. But somebody has to pay. There's always a price if we continue in our sin. It wasn't the prophets of Baal that said the Lord is God, the Lord is God. It was the people that said that. He wants us to understand how serious this is, that we can't take it lightly. You know, sometimes we just shrug off sin. We say, well, it's just my nature. You know, just who I am. Or it wasn't that bad. You ever heard that one? It wasn't that bad. Well, the issue is it starts with something small and ends up something big. And that's what God is saying here. He says, I want you to understand that just simply worshiping these guys, it wasn't just about this, it was the direction of their heart. It's totally opposed to me. But the, the good thing at the end of the story is this, and I think this is the third result. The third result is this, greater things, greater things. Remember when I first started telling you the story back in prefacing it? I said that Elijah had come and said it was the, that God was going uh, to not have rain come for three years. So what was their greatest need? Rain. That was an easy one, right? Okay. Rain was their greatest need. And I'm thinking, if you read the story earlier, going like, well, he, he doesn't bring rain, he brings fire. Why does he bring fire? No, he it says this in verse 41. After everything's over, Elijah says to Ahab, to the king, go eat and drink, for there's the sound of a heavy rain. Three years without rain, and God gave them exactly what they needed. That is the sign. That's, that's what a faithful God does for us. I mean, he'll get our attention when we turn away from him. But he always gives us what we need. Not what we want, but what we need. See, God wants every one of us to walk away from this altar, whatever is on it, and place our worship upon him. Our effort, our emotion, our energy, our resources. And the reason he wants to do that is because he knows all that will happen here eventually, if you stay here in worship, is you'll have heartbreak. But he wants to give you something better. The object of your worship will determine the level of your joy. And he came, God came and walked among us, Emmanuel, God with us, to give us joy, to help us to know who he was, and to do something for us that we could not do for ourselves. So we choose. Which altar do we worship at? Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.